Welcome to the Thursday Arts Preview, where the P is parenthetical. I'm your host, E.J. Ionelli. The second round of this year's Spokane Arts Grant Award recipients has been announced, and we've been catching up with them to hear about their newly funded projects. Our first interview with those Round 2 Saga recipients is coming up in a bit. In another first, the CM Studio and Gallery in Kellogg, Idaho, just launched its debut LGBTQIA Pride exhibition called Pride Unbound. A call to artists went out in early July, and the exhibition officially opened at the gallery on September 1st. Earlier this week, I spoke with the gallery's owner and curator, Cassie Hoyleman, about the work on display at Pride Unbound and why it was so important to her to make this exhibition an annual event. Well, first off, I have friends that are in the LGBTQIA plus community, and I have family that are in the community, and I feel like they're misunderstood, underrepresented, and especially in the Valley. So I felt that it would be a good thing to help the people that are within the community or allies to the community that they have somewhat of an outlet and that there's other people here supporting them. And so with the help of Ali Kosky, who runs Silver Valley Pride in Wallace, um, she kind of helped me, you know, come up with a plan of what exactly this event was going to offer and help me find artists for it. And that's what, it's something that I've kind of wanted to do. And just with hearing other people saying that it would be a good idea, I was just like, all right, let's do it. And the opening night went great. We actually had a great turnout. Like we had an interactive piece where people could write on the mirror, um, messages of positivity. So, Yeah, because the call went out around early July and you were soliciting artists to participate in this exhibition. About how many artists yeah. responded to that call? I think I got maybe 15. And then in the process of like accepting the artwork and having them, you know, turn it in by a certain time, I think I have nine different artists in there. And are you able to mention some of those folks by name? Um, I have a good friend, Alyssa Sandal, um, Nicole McGraw, and her partner, Ramona, is actually, um, she does drag. So you might have seen her at, like, Sandpoint Pride or Wallace Pride. And uh, what sort of work is being represented here? Because one of the key themes of this whole exhibition was diversity. And that's not just diversity of lifestyle, but also diversity of artwork. So what sort of styles and what sort of media can folks expect to see? Um, very contemporary work. I have a few sculptural pieces or stoneware. There's paintings. There's woodwork. Um, there's lots of different mediums and styles. But my gallery typically stays in the style of, like, contemporary, just as a whole. So lots of contemporary artwork. But I do have a lot of artists that like to mix with mediums, so you'll see a lot of mixed media, assemblage, things like that. There's a few self-portraits in there um, by my friend Alyssa. She uses herself as reference, so there are a few paintings expressing, you know, how she feels. So you'll see self-portraits. There's mixed media pieces. And then there is a mother of one of the artists that I have. Um, Her piece is kind of like a love letter to her child, you know, letting them know I love you no matter what, as long as you are happy. That's all that matters to me. And her daughter is trans. And you had mentioned that there are about nine participating artists. And about how many pieces are on display? I have about 15 pieces on the wall right now. Um, I was really hoping for more art submissions. 
but th- these are all local people, you know, from Spokane to Kellogg to Sandpoint. Well, you know, as you mentioned, this is the first ever Pride Art Exhibit, so it takes time to build the (laughs) momentum that you need for exhibitions like this. So is this something that you hope to continue in the future? Yes, I would like to do one every year during Pride Month, preferably. I I always support Silver Valley Pride just to kind of give them like another outlet. And um, we have like a, a booth set up by Silver Valley Pride and we have information from them, MP um, Flag, North Idaho Pride Alliance. We have all those resources there at the gallery as well. So there will be a table set up with free resources from those nonprofits. Um, so I'm hoping that people that come in can also take some of that information with them. Yeah, and folks might be you familiar know. with some of the celebrations that go on here in Spokane. But um, uh-huh. for folks who are unfamiliar with Silver Valley Pride and some of the festivities there, what is that event? Um, Silver Valley Pride is a Pride event that Silver Valley Pride, the nonprofit, puts on every year. Um, it's based in Wallace, and it's a free event. They have lots of activities for families. There's a pub crawl later in the evening um, for adults. Um, I wasn't able to make it this year, but I did go to the very first one in Wallace, and my daughter and I had a great time. And this exhibition opened on the 1st, and you said that the opening night reception went quite well, and it runs through the 23rd. Are you hoping to bring in new folks to CM Studio and Gallery through this exhibition? Yes, and I'm I'm hoping that more people in the LGBTQIA community will feel comfortable coming to the gallery, knowing that, you know, people are trying to offer you know, more outlets for them because I want these artists to have an outlet to express themselves and I'm hoping that I'll get more artists in the future. But yes, I do hope that it brings in more people and so we can spread more education on the subject as well. That was my main goal of education, love and acceptance. Great. Well, Cassie, thank you so much for taking the time out to chat about this this morning. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. That was Cassie Hoyleman, owner and curator of the CM Studio and Gallery in Kellogg, Idaho. The Pride Unbound exhibition, with work by about nine different artists, runs there until Saturday, September 23rd. More information is available at cmgallery.org. The CM Studio and Gallery isn't the only place in Idaho with new events in the works. At North Idaho College in Coeur d'Alene, Various performing arts and fine arts groups are preparing for an academic year filled with concerts, theatrical productions, and exhibitions. For decades, Joe Jacoby was a leading figure in the school's theater department, but he's now the division chair for communication and fine arts at North Idaho College. In that role, he has a fix on what's happening at the college across multiple disciplines. Joe came into the studio recently to talk about what NIC is working on and what arts lovers can expect to see there this year. One of the music professors and our theater professor are going to be working together this fall on a musical, a version of Pride and Prejudice called Prejudice and Pride that was created by one of Andrea Olson's uh, vocal students. So we're going to have a student-generated play, a, a musical, this fall. So do you still have a hand in theater then? A little bit. I've been doing sound design, and I I work with Eric Wolf, our new theater professor, who 
Uh, it's really fun. He's a trained fight choreographer. and As he has intimacy. done for Spokane Shakespeare Society very recently. Exactly. Exactly. So and I think that new energy has been really good for the department. Because as much as I hate to let some things go, well, most things go in the theater department, it's really exciting to see somebody else with different ideas and see what happens then. So uh, he's been a great asset. And I'm interested in some of your theater work that you were doing up until you kind of changed hats. There was in 2020 the Rock and Roll Time Cop. Yeah, uh Time Cop, A Rock and Roll Space Odyssey. (laughs) And that was student-written. We were in the midst of COVID, and we had to be able to social distance. And uh, I thought, I don't know quite what to do because we're probably going to have to stream something. And at that point, a lot of the publishers hadn't totally oriented much towards streaming rights, which, you know, once you're talking video can get expensive. And we had a student who had written this script in high school that was kind of goofy, but fun, and, you know, pretty much worth doing for the title alone, really. And he graciously allowed us to film it. So we actually had something we could film and have permission to to stream. So we made it as a film. We shot it. We put up the sets. We shot all the scenes on that set, then tore the set down because we don't have a lot of space, uh, and shot scene by scene on each set. And he made script revisions and ended up being cast in the show because we had a cast member who came down with COVID. Fortunately, the only person who that happened to. So it was kind of fun. We got to do this film. I got to direct, you know. Uh, We had somebody who was really into playing guitar, original kind of musical stuff. So he did our our music pieces. And uh, it ended up being a real fun project. We had a blast. And we had these masks that were clear. So even if you look at it now, it's kind of like, well, it's it's Time Cop, a rock and roll space <laughs> odyssey. Why not? Uh, and then in the spring, we did a couple of Samuel Hunter shows that were directed by students. And the students approached me wanting to do these shows. And was that simply because of his fame in The Whale? I can't remember if no, he had No, this was had pre his... The Whale. Wow, okay. They had discovered his plays really resonated with them. And when I read the script, I thought, boy, these are both great scripts. But it felt like they it resonated with the students more. And I thought that the students, one was a dramaturg, uh, had done a lot of dramaturgy for me. And the other person in play analysis would write these really intelligent, insightful papers. And I asked them both if they would like to do these plays and direct them. And they both very graciously agreed. And so then we live streamed those more in a Zoom format. So it was kind of fun as we adapted to COVID. We did a film in the fall, which the department had never done, and then did Zoom streaming productions, which we had never done. Uh, And I was really proud of what the students accomplished with some difficult shows. They're complex. They're nuanced. uh, And we got some great casts. Deb Marlowe here from Spokane uh, was in one of them for us. Uh, so we got real lucky with great casts, and the, I thought the students did a marvelous job. And is 2022 the year that you changed hats, or were you still in the theater department? I was still in the theater department, and I was division chair for the health professions division because I was really interested in doing a different challenge. But running the theater department and doing that was a real handful. But we got to do This Random World by Stephen Dietz, and Stephen Dietz is one of my favorite playwrights. Uh, And This Random World is a beautiful, beautiful play. And I ended up with a wonderful cast, and we double cast it. So 
the cast who was our secondary cast, uh, we did shadowing, so they would read the script in the actor's ears so that the actors were never holding their scripts in rehearsal. Their counterpart would be whispering the words into their ear, and then they would be rehearsing, never with a script in their hands, and we'd block it out. And then we'd rehearse the scene, reversing the roles so that the one actor that had just done the scene was whispering in the ear of the other cast member. And then we rotated weekend performances, and it was a, a really wonderful experience. Uh, and then we finished off the year doing Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. And I'd had this idea of Midsummer Night's Dream in the 1960s, where Theseus's court is black and white, and it's kind of like Father Knows Best, you know, the late 1950s, early 1960s, Leave it to Beaver. And then we get into the forest, and it's the summer of love with the Beatles. And, and I used a fair amount of Beatles music. And uh, that was really fun for scenery, for music, for costumes. And uh, the cast, I thought, did wonderful things with that as well. And I should note that you're sat here in a signature tie-dye shirt, <laughs> and yeah. you, you are a Beatles fan because you are the recipient of probably more awards than I can count. <laughs> And one, one of those awards, you got a portrait of John Lennon as part of that, no? Yeah, it was through the American College Theater Festival. I, I got the Horace G. Robinson Jack Watson Award, and uh, that meant so much because that's one of the highest recognitions our region has to offer. And typically they give you a piece of artwork from the city that the festival is in. But this year was a COVID year, and so the region chair, Ron Campbell, had a relative who had painted this painting and didn't have it anymore, but he knows how much I like the Beatles. So he commissioned this painting of John Lennon for me to offer me as, as the kind of more physical part of the award. So it was, it was really special. And we had talked about Eric Wolf's entry into things. Yes. So where does the NIC theater department find itself now that you have almost transitioned out of it mm -hmm. and that it's in other hands? It's still in very much the the same shape, but I think, you know, some different shows that are being done, and, and he approaches directing in a different way. He's going to have students be doing some directing in the spring, and uh, that's pretty exciting. So I, I think it looks, in a lot of ways, very similar, but it's got his personal stamp and approach. But the students are really responding to him, and that new energy, I think, is attracting some students. So that's been a great thing. And you have a number of years there at NIC. Yeah. Um, how many, if you could quantify that? I started in fall of 1999. Uh, so we're coming up almost on 25 years. Pretty close. Uh, I was part-time for about three years, and then after that, full-time. So uh, I won the lottery, basically, <laughs> when I got that job because I wanted to teach, and I wanted to be in theater, and here I get to do both. And every year we'd get these wonderful, talented students. And I'd be thinking, the luck is going to run out sometime. So the first few years, I never said anything. <laughs> but then when I was talking to students, I started saying, look, you're going to be around these wonderful people that we attract. And I felt confident about it because I was never jinxing it. And it's, it's still true. We still get wonderfully talented people who care about each other and form a group that supports each other, and they challenge themselves, and they applaud each other's successes. And I think that's really important as an environment in which students can grow artistically. 
So we've talked a lot about theater, but are there events outside of theater in performing arts or fine arts that we can look forward to? Absolutely. We have a choir concert coming up in October. We have a jazz concert coming up, and there's the 50th anniversary of our Wind Symphony, and we've brought back Terry Jones, who has a long history with that. We have a corner gallery we're hosting. Uh, Rick Davis is going to be exhibiting in a few weeks, and uh, then the faculty show. Uh, then Trestle Creek Review for the English department if you're interested in literature. So besides the plays coming up uh, and the concerts and the fine art, we also have literature too. So it's a very active campus. Yeah, it sounds like in your new role, you're able to monitor that even better. Hopefully I'm facilitating it because I I feel like it's my role to try to provide uh, support and get the resources that the faculty and the students need to do their programs. We've got great people, so I want to support them and help them do their best work. Excellent. So, Joe, thank you so much for coming in today and talking about everything that's going on at North Idaho College. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Joe Jacoby, the Division Chair for Communication and Fine Arts at North Idaho College. And he was speaking there on all the art-related productions and events the school has planned in the coming months. For more information, head to nic.edu forward slash community and look for the Arts and Culture tab. Back in Spokane, Spokane Arts has recently issued a second round of Spokane Arts Grant Awards for 2023. A total of five grants were awarded during this round across disciplines like printmaking, music, and the culinary arts. The singer, composer, and director Madeline McNeil received her Saga grant for Bodies in Conversation, a forthcoming multimedia event that features a play, a film, and a music performance that deal with the intersection of mental and physical health. The project has a lot of different aspects to it. So when I spoke to Madeline in our studio, I began by asking her to outline Bodies in Conversation in its broadest sense. Uh, This is going to be a project that will include several different kinds of performers, and it'll have three parts, three main parts. Uh, The first part is going to be an art film that I made during the pandemic, uh, and the second part will be an original piece of music, a composed piece of music with four instruments, and a choir of singers, and the third part will be a play between man and woman. I believe I'm going to play woman. So you have composed the music for this. There is an art film that you yourself have made and directed. I worked with Raj Bose and Ellen Picken, um, Factory Town. They were the director and producer of this art film. I did write the music for that and performed in it and sang all the vocal parts for it. But I had several other musicians um, send me their music from home. So we all recorded from home and mixed it. It was uh, double bass, cello, marimba, and flute. So this really is kind of a multimedia extravaganza. What is the premise of Bodies in Conversation? Uh, This project is talking about several things. So it's talking about a bit about the pandemic and um, being in isolation and how that is continuing on today with the rise in technology. And so it's an opportunity to bring people together 
to think about that and talk about that. Uh, It is also bringing awareness to the body as a way to address mental health. So often when we think of mental health or mental in general, we think of kind of the brain or the head area. And um, the philosophical work I've done over the years is bringing attention to the entire body and particularly the breath musculature or the core musculature. And what I propose is that it is active in shaping the mind and shaping our emotions. And as a musician, the technical work that I've done has played into both the creation of my art as well as the theories on cognition that I've developed. And so that is how the physical ends up informing the mental in this particular piece. Yeah, and so giving attention to the physical through art, through performance, um, music making, singing, and other kinds of modalities brings the exercise to the body. (laughs) I mean that in an athletic way, like physically moving, physically exercising the voice but also skill to shape it in ways that are meaningful, um, in ways that feel good, in ways that are intelligent, and in ways that we can do it together in a group so that it's organized and coordinated. And why was it so important to you that this be cross-disciplinary and not just be exclusively a cinematic piece or exclusively uh, an auditory piece? So I'm starting with the art film because it was made during the pandemic. And that piece was a way for me to bring musicians and artists together when we couldn't be together. But I feel like in some ways, although we are back together, we are still struggling to understand our meaning, especially with the rise in AI and a lot of the conversations that we're having now. Um, I just feel like there's also a lot of dissociation Um, that's happening. So I'm trying to bring some intention to these topics uh, and address them together. And maybe this is a personal aside, but I feel as though something has fundamentally changed since the pandemic. There is a greater sense of disaffection and alienation and isolation. And so even though when you say we are back together, things are a little different, Is that also what is kind of driving you to create this work? Yeah, yeah, that could be a long conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, putting the finger on it. What is it exactly? What's going on? So in the art film, people will see that there's a part where I'm actually in a box, in a kind of plexiglass-looking box, and in a way that represents the constraint. So we were constrained to use our voices. We are constrained to try and expand and be with each other and touch each other. And in some ways that has continued on, I feel. And when I say expand, I mean that really literally as far as breathing in and expanding the breath musculature out and up and in all the directions that the breath muscles move. Um, I feel that there are ways that we're not allowed to speak and things we're not allowed to speak about. And man, that's, it's been really difficult for me um, to try and raise concerns about things and not feeling like I have the space to be able to speak about them. So I touch a bit on that in the play. Um, really what I'm trying to do is bring things back to the body and ground in the, the fleshy, imperfect uh, <laughs> beauty of being a body. Uh, and explore that with other people who make the body as as performers really their life's work. This is what we're working with. 
And so we have bodies in conversation, but we also have works in conversation, these entities that are in conversation. We have the film and we have the play and these other components that are in dialogue with each other. Now, how are you playing to the different strengths of each medium? So what I plan on doing is uh, talking before the whole program begins and leading the audience through some of these ideas and even through some breath movements so that we can be on the same page. And then the film will begin. Um, that will move into the next part, which will be a live component. So that'll be the transition in from what we were, which is mostly through a screen, and then into a live component. And the song, the second piece, is called The Underground. So it is creating a space away from the space that we are usually in. It's imagining that we have a separate space to try and work through some of these things. So it's called The Underground, and then the third part will be a contemplative play, and it's archetypal between man and woman, and trying to go forward as different bodies, different sexed bodies, if I can say that on air, and, uh, <laughs> and talk about how we are different and how to go forward knowing and understanding our differences. And this event will take place in the Magic Lantern Theater, which is a relatively small space. How do you manage to achieve that expansiveness that you're looking for? Um, I am open to other spaces, honestly. I think that I wasn't sure if I would get the grant, and so I just wanted to make the initial um, conversation happen. But I like that there's a big screen so that this art film can be shown on a big screen. Um, it is possible that we could, depending on the interest, um, there could be several nights that we show it. But I do like intimate spaces. And for the second piece, The Underground, it will have this feel of it being a little bit separate because it's windowless and um, intimate in that way. And you had mentioned Ellen Pickin and Raja Bose as two artists who were involved in this. What other artists are involved in the creation of this piece or performance as well? Uh, yes. So the creation is is me. I've done all the composition and um, and I wrote the play. And the play will also include some chant singing in duet also. So there will be an actor, and there will be four musicians, and there will be a choir. And that will be the people that are involved. <laughs> I'm still where I have to hire them. <laughs> I have to tap everybody on the shoulder and be like, all right, we're going to make this happen. Let's do it. So it's still TBD, but you do have some folks in mind. I do. And I'm thinking um, January, but you know, I say that on air, it's, it's still to be announced exactly when because um, we got to herd some cats. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the case in any industry and in any project. Yes, yeah. Well, Madeline, thank you so much for coming in today and talking about this. Okay, thank you so much. That was Madeline McNeil, a local singer, composer, and director whose project Bodies in Conversation recently received Spokane Arts Grant Award funding. The Bodies in Conversation event will be held at the Magic Lantern Theater in the coming months. And we at Spokane Public Radio will have more information on that when the date is announced. To learn more about Madeline in the meantime, visit her website at madelinemcneil.com. And we'll have interviews with the other Saga recipients from this round over the next few episodes of this program. This has been the Thursday Arts Preview, a show that keeps an eye on the past, present, and future of the art scene throughout the Inland Northwest. 
Each week on Spokane Public Radio, the Thursday Arts Preview offers us an opportunity to revisit fun and interesting interviews, music, and performances you might have missed when they first aired. It's also a space where we look ahead to upcoming events or activities that you won't want to miss. If you did miss part of this episode, or you want to be sure to catch future episodes, subscribe to the Thursday Arts Preview podcast on major platforms like Spotify and Google and Apple Podcasts. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm EJ Ionelli. Body language.